Love that Tarantella song live from Salt Lake City, the Mecca of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter, where we try and do all we can to help people walk toward his love. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, love you, need you, thankful that you sent your only human uh, son, your only begotten son, your only beloved son to us. And uh, he gave his life for us and we look to him in faith. And in that faith, we learn to love. And so we gather to talk about this love and talk about this faith and all the arguments and different things that come with it. So we pray you'll help us tonight. People call in or people who have written, whatever it is, whatever comes about that will have it. Bless Seth and Wendy and Mags and, Ke- and, and Mary in the back and, and everybody who participates in keeping the show going. And uh, we're grateful for all of them and all of you. And love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, Spotify, Google, iTunes, Apple iTunes, you can get our podcast audio through any one of those means. Just go and check it out. Heart of the Matter with Sean McCraney. Add with Sean McCraney or you're likely to get Don Henley's song. Uh, But uh, if you're Heart of the Matter with Sean McCraney, you can get it there. LDS General Conference, it's October. They had it recently. And, you know, it's just amazing what modern revelation can bring to a church. Uh, they announced something that was just just radical. It was earth shaking. And it causes me to even wonder if I want to go back because it's so inspiring. What they said was, if you didn't know this, when when Mormons have a baptism, uh, they have two priesthood holders, male, of course, standing on either end of the baptismal font looking down and they make sure that the person who is being baptized is fully submerged. If a toe pops up, one of the witnesses will say, I'm sorry, we must do that again. And then they'll do it again. And if a finger pops up, I'm sorry, we must do it again. And so that has always been an office of priesthood holders to be witnesses. Well, the modern LDS prophet Russell Nelson has come out and made the declaration that not only can women now be witnesses, but children can too. Now that the Lord is opening up the heavens. He is really shining down through that prophet to make an announcement like that. And the thing that's really kind of interesting is that it's not just women. That the women couldn't even get a, 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 a boost up the, up the chain alone as a gender. He had to throw the kids in too. It's women or kids. I'm just waiting for them to say, and pets. When they threw pet, if they would throw pets in, it would really be an announcement. But anyway, that's Mormon General Conference. The LDS missionaries, they spout that yes, We have a living prophet who receives revelation today. Does your church? Thankfully, no. All right. A special invitation from our friend and colleague in uh, ministry, Michael in Sweden. Take a look. Hey, friends. This is Michael. I wanted to give you a little sneak peek of our new website coming up. It's a redesign. And I wanted to ask you for a favor. If you have a testimonial, if the show has benefited you, changed your life in any way, and you'd like the world to know that, would you please send me a testimonial, a short, brief testimonial, like the one that you see here, and I will add it to the website. Please include your permission to do so, and I would love to be able to feature it. Until then, hope you enjoyed the show, and God bless. Michael, Seth, and Wendy, they uh, collectively... collaborate on how to run all this stuff and put it together and keep things going. So, so appreciative of all three of them. And just to let you know, we are producing, uh, in conjunction with all of our thoughts and ideas, a new website. Michael's putting it together in Sweden for us. And uh, so we will let you know when that's going to be ready. And it's going to have a lot of things that people write us and ask us about. And so we'll look forward to that coming out. So you may remember that last week we announced that we... uh, we had spent some time interviewing a man named Denver Snuffer. And uh, Denver Snuffer, just to let you know, um, well, let me read what Wikipedia is not completely trustworthy, but this is what Wikipedia says about who Denver Snuffer is. 
Denver Carlos Snuffer Jr. is a Utah lawyer and a tur- an author of Restorationist Devotional Books, 22 volumes if I'm not mistaken, a lecturer, a speculative theologian, and a revelator to Fellowships of the Remnants Movement, a spiritual movement in schism with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the North Temple Church, the big church that has all the money. That doesn't say that there. The movement has a few thousand adherents, many of them members or former members of the mainstream LDS Church. He was excommunicated by the LDS Church in 2013 for refusing to cease publication of his 2011 book, Passing the Heavenly Gift, which challenges many points of LDS orthodoxy. He subsequently has been identified as a prophet by many, and several of his teachings have been canonized as scripture, end quote from Wikipedia. Now, we had three hours together, and, uh, and, and Denver was very uh, uh, polite, and he uh, endured with me. I think that I was a little bit subpar to his level of uh, talk with things, maybe. But a number of Denver's followers were here for the interview that we did, and he explained when he was asked about having angels visit him. And uh, now this is a reputable Salt Lake City attorney. He's an appellate attorney. That means he, he goes, he does the appeals for, he goes through the, the documents of other attorneys that are prepared for court and he breaks them down and he shows where the errors were so that you can make an appeal. He's a very smart man. Uh, and he also, uh, said, admitted that he has had a visitation from the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't ask him how many times, but he did admit that. In essence, Denver represents a modern, perhaps the most recent uh, break-off from Mormonism proper, from Joseph Smith's Mormonism or Brigham Young's Mormonism, whichever way you want to see it. Uh, and there's been hundreds of schisms, hundreds of break-offs. You know, uh, Mormon, one of Mormonism's criticism of, uh, of Christianity is there's so many different denominations. Well, Mormonism itself has hundreds of different schisms that have broken off from people, and Denver Snuffer is one of them. And the LDS Church proper on North Temple has said he's one of the biggest dangers to the church today. They have said that. Uh, years, a couple years ago or last year, maybe I was talking about religious leaders in the state of Utah and uh, mentioned that I think the three religious leaders in the state of Utah outside of Mormonism are Denver Snuffer because he is receiving revelation like the other Mormon people like and Mormon people are following him. Because of that, uh, John DeLynn, who is a humanist leader, he is leading people out of the Mormon church who have uh, just abandoned God pretty much and said, my lifestyle is more important than any deity and I'm going to follow my heart in that. And that's John's gig. And then I humbly said, I am, I am the third one, although in much smaller scale. And the reason I say that is not out of, of uh, arrogance or, or anything like that. It's just that we offer an approach to, for people that is different than what the evangelicals and Catholics and, and Orthodoxy offer them. And it's, it's a different approach for people who are seeking for, uh, uh, to see the Bible and, and everything in a different kind of way. That's leadership. We're not managers. Del- Del- uh, John Delenn's not a manager and neither is uh, Denver Snuffer. Managers take what's been given them and they just manage it for people, uh, which is what the evangelicals are doing. But uh, Snuffer and, and John and a little bit me are just trying to do something to show a different way. So anyway, we're going to air these interviews in a different way here on Heart. This Thursday, we're going to open the first one. And then Saturday, we're going to open the second one. And then uh, Monday, we're going to open up the third one. And then Tuesday, we're going to have our live follow-up show, just like we're doing now. And we're going to talk about what you guys thought about Denver Snuffer and how he came across and what he said. Now, I want to warn you all, and, and I mean this with complete respect to Denver. Uh, I like him as an individual, as a, as a person. I, I like him just as a guy, as a man, as a human being. I like Denver. But... Uh, 
He and I came to the interview cold like I do with all of them. Angela Kelly, everybody. I very rarely know who I'm interviewing or anything much about them. And he did not know me and I did not know him. And though this is often the case with our guests, Denver was, and he's an attorney, so he knows he has to be very cautious with what he says. So our first hour together, just plainly speaking, was brutal. And I felt it was brutal as the interviewer because he didn't really say much. And it was pretty taxing. And I'm just warning you that if you want to watch what someone's like when they don't feel like they can trust the person they're talking to, you can watch this and see for yourself how it unfolds. That's part one. When part two came along, I, I pretty much frankly said, you're killing me, man. This is boring. Our, our audience is not going to watch this because you're not really giving us much here, Denver. And he opened up a little bit more in the second part. And then by the third part, which we did a word association game together, he didn't really want to do it, but he did it anyway. And he was a good sport. And in the word association, you learn a little bit more about Denver and what his views are and things like that. So the real value to these interviews are for people who are LDS, were LDS, are interested in Mormon things, or anybody else who's interested in seeing what it would be like to be living in Joseph Smith's time. Because I think Denver pretty much sees himself as another one. He didn't say that. I'm making that conjecture. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But I think he sees himself as the a new revelator, someone who sees Jesus, someone, I don't know if he sees God, someone who sees angels, someone who receives revelation. They write his revelations down as canon. And he kind of sets the example for a following of a couple thousand people here in the Intermountain West. So if you're interested in seeing that, tune in Thursday night and uh, watch part one. Again, that one's tough. Saturday and watch part two, HOTM, or go to uh, YouTube, Heart of the Matter with Sean McCraney. And then Monday, part three. And then on Tuesday of next week, we will catch up and talk about that. Um, all right. So with that being said, take a look at this. Chris, have you ever read and prayed to know if the Book of Mormon is true? I've read the entire Book of Mormon, but have not prayed about it. I'd like to share with you what is called the Moroni Challenge. It is recorded in the Book of Moroni, chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. How does God manifest the truth by the Holy Ghost? You will feel a burning in your bosom, or a peaceful feeling will come over you. Interesting. So, to prove if anything is true, we are to put all of our trust in our feelings. Don't you think that's a little dangerous? How so? Because God doesn't use feelings to testify of truth. Feelings in Scripture are often spoken of as untrustworthy. Let's read Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whosoever walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Is it proper to use feelings as a test for truth? Our feelings can be influenced by many outside sources, which may not be reliable. But you said you read the Book of Mormon. What do you think about it? Honestly, I'm convinced the Book of Mormon is not the Word of God. And it's not because of anything I felt or failed to feel. It's because of what is true and what is not true. What do you believe is not true about it? Okay, author and proprietor Joseph Smith is printed and stated in the original 1830 Book of Mormon. He owned the copyright, and he intended to make money from that. It is obvious that Joseph knew nothing about the ancient American world and ancient Jewish culture, because he makes some horrible errors and oversights in the Book of Mormon. Such as? Such as the complete lack of archaeological support for the Book of Mormon, the numerous historical anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, racism taught and displayed in the Book of Mormon, plagiarism of the King James Version passages in the Book of Mormon, so you see, with a logical, rational mind, I can reason that the Book of Mormon is not what it claims to be, certainly not the Word of God. We realize you have doubts and concerns, but only God can answer them for you. Elders, do you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon? 
Of course, we believe it is inspired scripture from God. Do you believe everything the Book of Mormon teaches? Yes. Is there anything in the Book of Mormon that you question? No. What is there to question? As I read the Book of Mormon, I found that it reflects 19th century American Christianity more than it does current LDS doctrine and teaching. When I put the Book of Mormon down and I picked up the Bible and started devouring it, I started to see God's Word change my life and testify to its truthfulness in ways incomprehensible to me. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt the Bible is the Word of God, and it's not because of anything I've felt. It was knowledge and realization in my mind that it had to be the Word of God. Elder, please read Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is what the Bible teaches about trusting the heart. Our heart, our feelings, our emotions can fool us into believing things that aren't true or good for us. Instead of the Bible telling us to pray about it, it teaches us to search the scriptures. In our next visit about the Book of Mormon, I'd like to take you to some passages that teach Orthodox Christian doctrine. These will be doctrines the LDS Church currently does not teach, and in some cases would label as false doctrine. Subscribe to Talking to Mormons. There's great uh, information there and great entertainment. I know there it was not a mistake that Elder Firepants there was the one who brought up the burning in the bosom. I know that was on purpose. That's it. I am switching sides. I'm coming out. He's converted me. Firepants, I love you. <laughs> Oh, we have a great time. All right, a few other updates before we get to the responses from last night's show. Subscribe. And this is a live call-in show, so 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. Martha Matthews said, I'm so glad that you have these guests on HOTM. They're real people. They overcame Mormonism. Mormonism hurts people. Sometimes when people see documentaries such as The Godmakers, people think that Mormons are cartoon characters or screen people, but they are real people. So glad to see that some know to leave. So glad that Heart of the Matter is on the internet. On the internet? Uh, grace, we are saved by grace. Martha's been a fantastic supporter of Heart of the Matter for years, decade, more than a decade, and uh, really appreciate her support and her interest in this topic. So uh, just to let you know, I'm working still on the TVAR. It stands for the Transversional Apostolic Record. And uh, what it is, it's a footnoted, endnoted, color-coded uh, New Testament that will assist readers in their overall comprehension of the New Testament. I've been criticized for it by people. There's people who've made videos, actually, you know, and, you know, it's really unfair. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but Chuck Smith came out with his own version of the Bible. Did you know that? Billy Graham has his own Bible. Every, all these guys come out with their own Bible and they say, oh, you're going to color code it. Well, what do you think someone else did to it? I mean, the manuscripts didn't have Jesus uh, uh, words in red. Someone already did that. I'm not unique in this. You guys just like to pick on anything you possibly can to try to make me a cult leader. This is just what everybody else has done with the Bible. And it's just what I'm seeing in it as I read it and study it and sharing that with other people. So uh, I think it will be a, a radical thing to bless people. I just want to keep you updated that we're on it and we're going to keep going. Additionally, I've been housebound for a couple weeks uh, due to a couple procedures on my broken frame and that has given me an opportunity with the help of Seth to put two more books to audio version. Uh, Seth put out uh, Knife to a Gunfight audio version which is available by going to our channel at Heart of the Matter with Sean McCraney. Well now we've recorded uh, Born Again Mormon and If My Kingdom Were of This World Then My Servants Would Fight all on audio now. And so Seth's working to get them edited. Michael is working to get them up on the newly revamped site, which will be uh, revealed soon in the next coming weeks. Wendy will let you know on uh, social media uh, about those uh, books that are out there now. And this will make three full books available to you free of charge, worth your while, we think, in, in most cases. So you Europeans... That watch the show, you South Americans, you Afrikaners, you Russians, you Eastern Bloc, whatever, Asians, Australians. 
whatever beautiful country you're from, no need to order a book, no need for us to go to the expense to send it and you to buy it. Unless you want to buy a hard copy, we still sell them. But the thing about it is, those of you who are overseas, you have the audio books. You can listen to them chapter by chapter, and I think it's a, a, a real gift. So stay tuned, and we'll let you know when they're ready for the taking. Couple more things. Once Denver Snuffer interviews are done, that's next Monday, we'll be done with the three. Uh, we're going to enter into some killer weeks of information. I am going to, I'm giving it my all to prepare. I already started on the layout of them. And I'm just going to tell you the information will be, uh, good and stellar. And we want you to really tune in. What is the first block of thing I'm going to do? In the state of Utah, a pastor named Jason Wallace, he's long been my nemesis. I don't consider him a nemesis. I consider him a, a believer in Jesus Christ who's doing his best. And he thinks what he believes about me is true. And that leads him to do some things sometimes. And one of the things he's done is he's made a 40 minute plus video that has come out to my attention. It was sent to me by a couple people. And he takes the time to narrate everything that's wrong with me from everything I've said that is questionable. And he's actually used clips of Heart of the Matter to show I have said these things. And uh, he's built a, what he's doing, he's building a smear campaign against me. He believes he's right. I'm not gonna uh, attack him for this. He has the right to do it. But what we are going to do is I'm going to use the segments and his own words to then explain to you why I say the things we say and why I teach the things we do. And we're going to use the Bible to do it. And it's going to be informative against all the smears from everything from Sandra Tanner to the Trinity to eternal punishment to me saying that we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth to anything that Jason doesn't like about me. We're going to cover in these segments because I think it's only fair that if he's going to do a propagandic piece on me, and that's what it is because he doesn't give the full scope of my arguments, um, then I get to respond. And it isn't going to be to attack Jason, but it is going to be to lay out what his attacks are. Why is this important when we are in redux and we're talking about Mormonism? Well, my brother Jason came to the state believing that he was called of God to reach the LDS. He, he felt a burning in his heart to come and reach the LDS. And, uh, and he has tried, and I think he's been somewhat frustrated over the years. And so he's done some things to make his ministry bigger and, and, and good. But along I come, and I just don't represent anything he really believes is true. And so he feels the need to come after me online, and he's done it through a video. So that's going to be the first thing that we uh, approach over uh, several weeks. Following that, we uh, are going to have, um, we're going to take the Lee Baker, James White debate, where, uh, which took place at Jason Wallace's Presbyterian, Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Magna, and we're going to dissect that. Why am I doing that? James White gave me the, uh, the benefit of coming on the show once and talking to me. And he got to lay out that I was a walking contradiction. And he put that label on me. And that was fun for him to do. We really didn't come to any good conclusions. We really didn't talk that much. But uh, that's what that amounted to. James doesn't respond to me much anymore. He won't even talk to my emails. James' partner, Jeff Durbin, who's a big apologist with Apologia Studios, he won't even speak to me at all, won't respond to invitations to come on and talk. Not, to be frank, there's a, there's a wall against talking to me. And the reason it is is because they think if they talk to me, they give me attention and our ministry grows. Maybe true. But the bigger reason is is because they know if we talk long enough, what they teach and preach will be shown to be foolish and they don't want to do it. They know they can't do it. And, and so what they do is they sit behind the scenes and they do their attacking on their Alpha and Omega radio show and their Apologia Studios and down at Temple Square with all their stuff bad mouthing and talking and, and taking pot shots, but they won't come and sit and talk because they're afraid. And I call them cowards and, and I'm not calling them that anymore. I have called them that. I'm backing off from that. So Lee Baker, <laughs> Lee Baker won't talk to me. And I've sided with him as we've mistreated him. 
But he won't talk. He's never liked me. He doesn't like my way. And that's understandable. I can be a brash and stupid. And, and he doesn't like me. So Lee won't talk to me. And I've invited him to come on the show and explain why he not only left Mormonism, but left evangelical Christianity has become a Jew. Lee wants to go out and he wants to tangle with people through uh, uh, debate. And so he and James White, who also loves debate and the whole ambiance of debate, instead of reasoning together and using logic and just talking with each other where they are exposed and they can't use their tools of rhetoric and debate on their opponent, these guys like to stand up and show how insightful they are to the truth, right? Well, I, we got Lee Baker and James White going at each other, and I've seen a little bit of it, and I've talked to some people who were there and some people who watched it, and people are pretty disappointed. They're disappointed at the whole outcome. I guess it got ugly. I guess the tears were shed from, from both men. I guess uh, Jason Wallace was shut down by James White for not letting him talk. It became an ugly festival, which I've gotten involved in before. So we're going to use... Uh, I'm going to use the arguments Lee Baker gives for his position of not trusting the New Testament. And I'm going to answer them in a way that I think is far more reasonable and less debating apologetic-like than James White did. I don't think he did a good job of it. And I'm going to pretend like Lee Baker's my guest on the show, and I'm going to let Lee lay out his point, and then I'm going to give him what I think are far more reasonable biblical answers than James' uh, polemical rhetoric of debate. And, and remember, I, I think James means well, too. All of them are trying their best because they, I do believe they love the Lord. So I'm trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt in that. But bottom line, I don't think they're doing the subjects justice. So uh, we're going to be doing that in, after we do the um, breakdown of uh, Jason Wallace's um, video smear. All right. So last night we watched part two of the interview with a street preacher called Paul Gee. I would challenge those of you who watched part one. There's like 1,300 of you. I think I've watched one since last week. Watch part two, because uh, that's when he and I can talk about my animus, so to speak. And I learned some things from Paul. He taught me some things in part two that I really didn't understand or know. And I, and I, appreciate, I appreciated his approach to street preaching. I appreciated his honesty and his heart. And uh, he opened my eyes on several things. I think Paul and his friend who joined him toward the end, his friend is a healer in Jesus' name. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, they're eager to serve the Lord, too. And uh, they're fair and they're loving. And, and Paul put up with some digs that I gave, gave at him for some of the things he uses out there on the street, especially eternal punishment and hell. Uh, he also has some grind against homosexuals. And that came out uh, a couple times. You'll see it if you watch part two, that he's, he's kind of angry against them. But I purposely challenged them to uh, a little to see what kind of street preachers they were. I wanted to see if I could get under his skin just a little bit, just to see what kind of street preachers they were, because some of them can be pretty antagonistic. And I was really impressed with Paul's decorum and his love. And I trust that uh, that decorum is shared out on the street, I hope. Uh, to me, they were a breath of fresh air compared to the obnoxious you know, 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s street preachers that we're used to who are screaming and yelling and holding up signs you're going to burn in hell and all this stuff. Uh, so nevertheless, we did encounter a couple of themes that bear repeating, both from Paul and my discussion and then with his friend and then based on some of your online comments, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But between Paul and I, hell was the... Uh, was a proper subject. Uh, I want to explain something that is lost on many people who watch our show. It's lost on, on others who don't understand. And I absolutely believe that Sheol, hell, the covered place is a part of the Old and New Testament. Definitely part of the Old and New Testament narrative that they actually Satan, hell, Sheol, the covered place, the dark place, the place where there's weeping and wailing was absolutely part of that narrative. 
It is my understanding of end times that causes me to believe that those things, hell, the covered place, uh, Satan, his demons and all that, have been overcome by Christ. It's my understanding of end times that makes me see them as having been overcome and done away with. So it's not that I don't believe that there was a hell and a Satan and all of this. My belief in end time studies tells me from the Bible that those things have been overcome and Jesus has had the V for victory. He has had the consummate victory over those things and we live in a different age now. So if I'm wrong about this, okay, this is important. If I'm wrong about it, though the preponderance of evidence in the Bible and in secular history supports my stance, uh, if you just study it, but you know, we're always gonna debate on that. But if I'm wrong, and um, then Paul um, Gee is correct. And all who die without Jesus will go to that covered place called Sheol, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and it's a place of misery. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus is still going to go to that waiting place of darkness until Jesus comes back to take his bride, and at that time, we'll get rid of hell and Satan and everything in the end battle and all that. I believe all of that already happened in 70 AD. But Paul, if he's right and Jesus hasn't come back, then for 2,000 years, anyone who wasn't born of God is, according to the Bible, going to that place and is sitting in that place in torments, waiting for Jesus to return and have the total victory over everything. So it's really important to know, to understand that at this point in my life and in light of my understanding of scripture, that if I was not convinced of everything having ended some 2000 years ago, if I wasn't convinced of that, then I would believe today where I'm sitting right now, I would believe today that we should be fully ensconced in doing what the New Testament church did fully. We should be completely behind material religion. We should be gathering together as often as possible. We should be having communion every time we gather together. We should be uh, zealously radicalized and preaching the kingdom and, and that Jesus is coming and that people are going to hell daily. So if I didn't have my eschatology that I have, I would be at Temple Square calling out to the Mormons. I would be at all the pride parades. I would be at everything saying anywhere where there weren't believers, not just the pride of the Mormons. I would say, you're going to go to hell. I would be so worried about that because the Bible does show that picture in the New Testament. And, and just understand that. So uh, in that scenario, I would push for church communities. I would push for elders and deacons and pastors. I would push for everything First and Second Timothy talk about when it comes to brick and mortar buildings and organizations. I would be pushing for excommunication. I would be for policing the members and have, finding out who is sleeping with their girlfriend and making sure they weren't part of the flock. Why? Because the Bible makes so clear in Jesus' day that he was coming back to take a pure bride, a pure bride with him. And if we're waiting for him to come in the future, then he's coming back to take that same pure bride. And the church is doing an effed up job at keeping the bride pure. Sorry for the words. They are just blowing it. They're not following the New Testament. There's not a church out there following the thing. They're all following after their own vomit. None of them are doing the New Testament church like they should. And, and no matter who you're looking at, they aren't checking widows with the seven different things. Women aren't having their head covered. Even if the Amish are having the women's heads covered, the Amish aren't doing the other stuff that's in the, in the scripture. So no one is doing what the New Testament church is. The, the reason why? We really can't, and it's not necessary. Because he came, he took his only pure bride, which was under apostolic rule. He took her away at 70 AD, and we entered into a completely different age and have been in that age ever since. So uh, I think it's really important to understand that Paul Gee believes, like the scripture says, that when he comes back to take his pure bride, 
the church will then have been under authority and will have apostles and will have excommunications and all the other things. So another thing about our time together, really quickly, we have an off-air question, but another thing that we uh, had on last night's show was a faith healer. Um, and he was in the audience and he's a friend of Paul's who goes out preaching at Mormon uh, conferences. And we talked about healing and I asked Paul a question. I said, how come amputees, it's all over the internet, it's kind of a joke. How come amputees are never healed by faith healers, right? And, and uh, this guy says, hey, I, I, I have an answer to that. So we invited him up at the end of the interview, uh, part two with Paul Gee. And, and he says that he's healed blind people. He's healed deaf people. My, my assertion was the only healings I hear about Christians doing is someone who has a sore back or somebody who is struggling with a little bit of this pain or that pain. But we don't see like verifiable um, fourth stage cancer or an amputee or somebody who was born without legs getting or, or, or people rising from the dead like we see in the New Testament times. I have trouble believing that. And every time I get with a faith healer, they, they make these pronouncements that it's happening that it happened during the, uh, you know, uh, the L.A. Uh, revivals with uh, Amy Simple McPherson and stuff like that. But I, I don't see it myself. I only hear of it happening. And then there's always that, well, it happens in third world countries because they're more faithful than us. Now, maybe I'm faithless and maybe I just just really need to grow up as a Christian and really believe. But I just don't see it. And I don't think it's part of our times. I think God can heal. I think he can heal someone with stage four cancer and he could heal an amputee, certainly. But I just don't see it happening the way we're talking about in scripture. And so this guy got up and he kind of made his pitch and I respected him for it. And, and, you know, if people say they're doing it and they believe they're doing it, well, so, so what it is. But the debate goes on and on and on. We have an off-air question here. It's from Sarah. Do you think Jason is talking about Wallace? James talking about White, Jeff Durbin talking about Jeff Durbin, and Lee Baker and other men's refusal to speak with you is in contradiction to 1 Peter 3.15, which calls us to answer every man for the hope that's within us. It's a great question. That's from Sarah. Here's the deal. They had James come once and sit on the show with me, called me a walking contradiction when he didn't get out of me what he wanted, and he walked. That he was the federal head. He was the tacit representative of all evangelical Christianity. And once he did that, they all have the excuse to never have to talk to me again because I've already been approached by a brother and they're following the idea that I've been approached once. That's enough. Let's wash our hands of him. And he's anathema. We keep away from him. Um, so that's what I think they're standing on. And I don't think they feel like they need to give me uh, hope for the reason that's for the uh, uh, reason for the hope that's within them, Sarah. I think that they use the scripture to their advantage, and I think that they uh, relentlessly have formed this wall of silence to uh, keep me one from growing in their eyes, and two from being embarrassed. Because I think that they know if we really just talked and without debating, we just talked, they would be proven to be illogical in the face of what the word says. So uh, let's go to what some people said last night, and we have some emails as well. In fact, we'll cover the emails foist. Uh, let's see, where are they? That is not them. All right, who took my notes, Seth? <laughs> Wendy? Okay, um... 380-bitty, thank goodness God for this kind and thoughtful FHE. That means family hope eating. Sorry, but hell and Satan were added to evolving religion. Hell was intensified in Christianity over time. Jews don't have hell or Satan. So that was added like so much more. Thought that was interesting. Uh, MH asks, asks off air, what I wonder is, prophets were always sent to Israel to warn and point them back to the covenant. Then eventually they were sent to say, don't fight Babylon, surrender. Was there anyone else who prophesied 70 AD besides Jesus? Well, 
Paul didn't prophesy 70 AD. Jesus was the only one. But we know Daniel, the way he calculated his days, can point to the 70 AD time. And the other thing about MH, about 70 AD, is that there's no gap going on the way the futurists talk about. Futurists have to have a gap in their eschatology. Uh, the 70 AD uh, approach is clear, straight on, and so I think that's important. Dwayne Dahl uh, Jr., Hosea prophesied of the time when the Holy Spirit was to be poured out on the church. Peter confirmed it in Acts chapter 2. You're exactly right. Is there more? So you're exactly right. And what, did, uh, what was Hosea talking about? He was talking about the end of the age there when he said, and in the end of this age, that, that's when the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out and your young men will dream dreams and your women will uh, prophesy or whatever he said. Peter was saying that at Acts chapter 2, saying that we're at the end of the age. Hosea prophesied of it. It's happening right now with the Holy Spirit falling and all of you speaking in tongues. So that's a perfect example if you want to speak of sort of a prophecy, of Peter himself standing up and saying, we are in the last times. It's happening right now. So those are great points. Um, Ex-Mormon for Christ alone says, I do not believe in the doctrine of eternal damnation. And then he goes on, but guess what? It says, read more, and we didn't print those up, so I can't do it. Kingdom of the Son of God says, the Trinity is a false doctrine and going from Mormonism to Trinitarianism is going from one false religion to another. And, you know, uh, with all due respect, if you believe in the Trinity and all that, that's fine. That's your choice. And you could be right. Could be right. Uh, but I agree with kingdom of the Son of God. The more I'm in the scripture, the more I see his point as true. It was one false religion for another. And, um, and, and it's the traditionalists and the men who love tradition that are talking about it. Next. Oh, what happened to the notes? Indigo Child says, so the wages of sin is death. We all physically die. So, yeah, we are all sinners. Proof right there. Gay people straight. Well, we all die eventually. It's kind of hard for me to explain my point fully in English. The thing is gay people must have the right to, and again, read more, we didn't print it. Uh, but Indigo Child is right. The wages of sin is death, and the death that we all experience because of the sin is physical death. There is uh, Death is done away with in Christ when it comes to spiritual death, eternally separated from God, and so all are going to be reconciled to him. Karen Cross, she's a, a friend of mine, and she's also a lady who attends campus at times with Greg, her husband. She is speaking of Paul Gee from last night's interview. This guy is awesome. She said, I like the hard questions. I threw some hard questions at Paul. I wish Sean had been like this with the Mormon Quaku. Consistency, please, she says. <laughs> Paul hung in there and defended his faith, talking about Paul Gee. Great interview. It kept my attention for sure. I lost interest quick with Quaku. So Karen, she says this, but I want you to understand a couple things, Karen. Um, consistency uh, to me is the death knell to the spirit. Uh, consistency is called religion. There are times when you're talking with somebody who's a guest when you want to use a, uh, a softer approach, when you don't want to antagonize them. And there are times when you want to get there and you want to do some things. I am hoping I can trust that those times are being led by God through the Spirit. And I'm listening enough to be able to know when those times are. With Kwaku L, we have a black kid converted to Mormonism who's now a Mormon apologist. I wanted to hear what that guy had in his heart, as close as we could get to it, without the confrontation from an evangelical. He wants the confrontation from an evangelical. All these guys want the fight. That's what they live for because they're good and skilled at rhetoric. But the rhetoric doesn't bring us to any conclusions of truth. It doesn't help us to grow. It's just whoever likes Quakuel will side with Quaku, and whoever likes me will side with me and we part ways. And you would say, Sean, great job in beating the crap out of Quaku. And Quaku's friends would say, that guy's such a jerk. He doesn't have the spirit. Good job, Quaku. And, and we get nowhere. And believe me, we did years of this. And we had the popularity because I was on it, fighting and yelling and calling names and everything. 
But that doesn't do it. It doesn't do it, Karen. What does it is growing and listening and learning. And every now and then you throw one out if you're led. Uh, Adnan, he's a great uh, uh, supporter of the ministry. Props to Sean for asking those hard questions about eternal punishment, conflicting with God's will that none should perish. Remember, God has a will that says none should perish. And for putting Calvinism on the spot for the insane doctrine that it really is. Amen to that, brother uh, Adnan. It is an insane doctrine, an insane one. And it's not it does not present the gospel in the purest light, in my estimation. Why? And I know it's something that is on my uh, uh, soapbox constantly. But a Calvinist gospel is God created man, women, children. He elects some and he elects the rest to suffer eternally in flames of fire to his pleasure. That is the good news to a Calvinist. Truly. Summarized, that's the good news. To me, that's not good news, ever. Even if, if you're one of the elect of God's, that's not the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son who saved the world in sin and reconciled the world to the Father. That's good news that I can bite into. So Calvinism preaches what I believe is a false gospel. I love Calvinists who, who are followers of Christ. I believe they're saved. I believe they're his. They're probably better Christians than I am. But Calvinism, I can't stand it. And I'm with you, Adnan, all the way. Uh, he says, I don't think questions like that are often discussed among pastors and teachers because it's really hard to reconcile the illogical conclusions that are assumed if Christ has not returned. Amen to that. So Adnan, appreciate that. We have Sean in uh, Layton, uh, Utah, and we'll go to him in just a second, but quickly an off-air question. Joseph Ags. Oh, Sean, do you believe theological debates are productive? I don't think so. I think that if they're done with the right spirit, then they can have some value. But typically, like the ones James White does, that's just, I don't, I don't find them valuable. I don't think anyone is really being changed. People who love White side with White. People who love the other guy or girl side with them. And that's all that happens. And we get there and it's just like theological masturbation. I'm sorry. And that's what everyone's doing. They're just masturbating their theology there and pleasuring themselves. And, and, and you know, when they come up with a good one-liner, ooh, that brings pleasure. They get off on it. But no one's really growing. No one is really changing their minds. And we want people to grow as Christians. So what it takes to do that is you want to have a conversation where you take something like, predestination of God electing, and you calmly just keep driving it home. But with the low attention span of our audiences, that doesn't work really either. We can't even do it here. If it were me, I would love to just sit for four or five hours on one subject and just keep going back and forth and keep talking about it and opening the scripture and talking about the one subject only instead of dancing around every single thing. Let's just talk about this God who created the world and he created people he elects to, to be saved and he created people he elects to burn forever in literal flame uh, eternally. Let's just talk about that and just sit there and talk and talk and talk and eventually with scripture being brought out and by the spirit, that's when people's hearts will change. That's when the Calvinists will walk away and say, you know, I, I'm starting to understand how this has been the product of man, but it won't happen in theological debates like uh, our uh, off-air caller just asked. Sean from Layton, Utah. Sean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean. Hey, Sean. Hey, what's How up? How you doing, Sean? How you doing, brother? You're on I the air. How are you? I'm good. 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 Hey, um... I'm one of those people who decided to listen to both the James White against Lee Baker debate and the James White versus Atheist debate. And I can attest that that was a huge, huge letdown as a viewer. It was pretty, pretty deflating to hear that that's, that's kind of the, what, how did you friends what James White is? Um, he's the head of kind of the, how did you phrase it exactly? I don't remember. I don't remember anything I say. 
which always gets me in trouble. <laughs> but something to being like almost like you know the executive head of the church, and that's kind of that's kind of the shame about the way some of those debates went because to say that James is not knowledgeable or anything like that, it's that's a stretch. But it was just such a letdown to say that you know that's kind of how the whole debates went down. I mean, everybody on, online that I read was just kind of like, wow, that was it? Wow. That's what we got out of that? And so, we, especially with Lee, who's clearly struggling with a lot of things and, and all that type of stuff, I guess one of my questions is, is, in your opinion, not on a debate status, you know, whether it's talking to a Mormon or talking to another brother or sister in Christ, in your opinion... What's, how do we create that dialogue? Like, how do we go to our brothers and sisters and say, hey, look, I'm not trying to debate with you. I'm not trying to throw down and tell you why DNC 132 is ridiculous. But instead of instead of just creating that dialogue of, hey, like, let's talk and help them understand who Jesus really is and how to put your points, which are controversial in the body of Christ as a whole, I believe. I don't think a lot of people do believe that are in the Church um, believe that Christ has come back. In your opinion, again, and I'll be quiet for a moment, do you have any strategies or thoughts on how to create that dialogue better versus we're, the debate? We're trying to do it now, uh, Sean, with what, how, we've cha- how we've changed Heart of the Matter. And we take flack for it because people want the blood. And, and I, I mean, almost weekly, maybe not, maybe not weekly now, maybe once or twice a month, I get somebody say to me in public, guy, you were great when you were on TV. I wish you'd go back to that format. That was so good. I mean, that was just what you, and you know, uh, it was good. It fed the flesh of people and it did give some good information, but in the end I was doing nothing different than James does. And it was feeding me. And in the end, I'm not sure it was really sinking in. Let me ask you a question. Watching those debates that you watched, did you get filled with any hope, with any desire to love more? To, to, no. 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 No, not at all. Because as I was watching those debates, I was like, like there, there was, and, and, and I talked to you about this a little bit on Sunday, is, well, I was like, ooh, here we go, the meat of things, and it got a little bit interesting, but as I reflected, I was, it's exactly what you're talking about. My flesh got interested. Yeah. Ooh, here we go. It's a little bit of Mari and Jerry Springer time, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, here comes the looks, and here comes the, you know, throwdowns and things like that. But yeah. walking away from it and reflecting on it, nothing was solved. No. Nobody changed their mind on anything. If anything, we're still, I was not going so... What was this debate even about? Like, what was it? What was it even about? Yeah. And so that's kind of, and, and that's the thing is that there was things that James was talking about in that debate, and and even Leah, like, I don't even know what that means, and I don't know what that. So I don't call either one of them bozos, and I can say that, and, and it's interesting because, I mean, you and I probably align very much similarly on just about everything within the church. And you can still love both of those men, one who I believe has converted to, to Judaism and one who's a Calvinist. And, and I'm like you in the sense where I can't understand that God. I don't want to understand that God. And I even agreed with you going to even the atheist debate that James was involved in was, God, I almost felt the atheist wins because that kind of a God isn't one that I want to worship. I mean, I say that lightly, of course. You know, I, I don't mean that literally. Right. But um, I mean, of course, I, I believe there's a God, and, and I want there to be, and it's not just because I want there to be. There's evidence, there's facts, there's scientific evidence that supports that, which is something that is kind of good little tidbits to give an atheist. But none of that was even in that debate. And then when I got, I was like, okay, all right, that's kind of a, that was a really weird debate. And if you watch even the first 10 minutes of that atheist debate, you'll, you'll cringe, and you really will cringe. Wow. So I was like, okay, let, let's get to the Lee Baker debate, which I was kind of looking forward to, because I really don't, I mean, I've tried to look for what Lee believes online, and, and I can't find a thing on it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of see where he's coming from, because like I told you, I've talked to Lee extensively for hours on the phone before he left Christianity, or 
whatever term you want to put there. And so I wanted to see, like, where, where is he coming from? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. A guy who was so, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, a testimony of Christ. Um, yeah, he's very legalist and things like that, but I just wanted to know where he's switching from. So I guess, I guess it's just kind of one of those things where, going back as a question for you, do you, do you think that even what you were doing last night, because what I enjoyed about your, your second part with uh, Paul G was you did kind of press him on some things. You did challenge him. And is that kind of the better route to go? Or do you consider that you, and I'm only asking, do you consider that you went too far even with Paul yesterday of in the challenging things? You know, is that what we should be doing more of like, well, let me just friendly challenge you on that. Yeah. Versus just this kind of universal approach of like, well, we're all going to heaven anyway. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, no, no, no. I think challenge is good as long as I can handle a challenge back from him. As long as he can challenge me and I can, with the same decorum that he had toward my challenge, respond. And, and that's not often the case. It's really hard to do because, you know, you're, being, you're in front of people and you're being, you're being challenged. And so it, it brings the heat up and it causes us naturally as people to, to kind of get mad or get aggressive. And so as long as the spirit's there, I think challenging gently and in love is good. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Right. Brother, we yeah. are out of, out of time. Okay. Hey, thanks. Just real quick when you get a time. If you'll, send, if you'll shout out what books that help you um, get your opinions on hell, I know you've mentioned it in previous shows. I'd love to get that from you. So thank you. You okay. got it, brother. Talk to you. Uh, the book that uh, helped me start to see the reality of hell was by, written by a pastor, friend of mine, whose uh, sister-in-law snuck it to me. It wasn't in publication. And it's called um, God's Sacred Secret. And uh, I don't know if you can find it online. You might be able to. It's by uh, uh, Daryl Scott. And then also eschatology helped me see it mostly through the Bible. Once my eschatology changed, then biblical verses talking about hell and Sheol and the end of it and the end of Satan all made sense. And so um, that, that would be what it would be. Also, you can check Tent Makers. I think it's .org, which is a great site which is a collection of everything that has been said by early church uh, fathers, leaders, everybody around, plus the Bible, plus articles on this not being eternal. Tentmakerseither.org or .com. You can check it out. Listen, one off-air question. We'll wrap it up. MH says, I watched the atheist debate that took place up at the U of U with Dan Ellis, who was on our show at one time, and he was going against... um, Jeff Durbin and uh, James White. I just turned it off after about a half ringing gong, about half ringing gong without love way through. That's really what it says. I just turned it off about halfway ringing gong without love way through. It just sounded like kids arguing, like what's the point of continuing to watch uh, is how I felt. And that's the point. So we're going to wrap it up. We've gone an hour. Uh, remember this Thursday and then Saturday and then Monday, parts one, two, and three, Denver Snuffer. You get a look into a new LDS prophet. I could call him maybe a seer and definitely a revelator and see what your impressions are. Write your notes down below as you're watching. Communicate with each other. Send us emails. Talk with each other. We'll read those on the air next week here on Heart of the Matter.